brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that supports life and family. 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite charity. Mention offer code TRADITION for a special Christmas offer. Learn more at CharityMobile.com. What does church mean? We hear some disturbing things these days from church leaders, especially those heavily involved in the synodal process. This concept of a new way of being church, or even worse, a new church. They speak about the church reforming itself into something new. They say this not in ambiguous language either. They say it in refreshingly clear language, a new way of being church, a new church. So what does the term church mean? Today, we're going to begin what may be a very long trek over the course of the next several months or longer through a work by the late Father E. Sylvester Berry. He was a Catholic priest who was a theologian from a better bygone era. And he has his work called The Church of Christ. It's a landmark work. And today we're going to go over the introduction to the text, which is very, very, very short, shorter than some quotes I use in my news stories. And we're going to go over the introductory chapter on what is the meaning of church. Where does the terminology come from? This will help us, I think, to better understand the changes being foisted on the church in our time. So with that said, let's turn to E. Sylvester Berry, the priest. Since Christianity embodies the final revelation of God to man, there must be some means instituted by God to preserve it from age to age and propagate it among men. The various societies known as Christian churches claim to be that means. Hence, the first purpose of this work is to inquire whether Christ really established a church, and if so, whether he established one or many. If Christ established but one church, it becomes necessary to discover which of the many now existing is, in very truth, the church of Christ. This can be done by comparing the various Christian churches of today with the church of Christ as set forth in the Gospels, where its nature and characteristics are portrayed in unmistakable terms. The church that possesses these characteristics in their fullness today must necessarily be the one true church of Christ. Having discovered the true church of Christ, the work of apologist is finished and it becomes the duty of the dogmatic theologian to investigate its inner nature. Hence, the present work is divided into two parts, apologetic and dogmatic. The one points out the true church of Christ. The other investigates its organization and powers. Origin of the church. Ecclesia, the Greek and Latin word for church, is derived from ekleum, which means to call together, to summon. Ecclesis is the act of calling together. Ecclesia is the result of that act, the assembly of persons called together. Hence, ecclesia originally signified an assembly for any purpose whatsoever. It was used in this sense by all ancient writers, both sacred and profane, e.g. all the tribes of the holy of our Lord's land met together in the assembly of the people of God. I have hated the assembly or ecclesia of the malignant, and with the wicked I will not sit. Now some cried one thing, some another, for the assembly, ecclesia, was confused. The Athenians coming together, poissantes ecclesion, signifies their intentions by ballot. In the course of time, the word ecclesia was restricted to a religious assembly, and then to a religious society, particularly to a Christian society. Even in this sense, the word is variously used. 1. The Ecclesia designates all rational creatures subject to Christ as their head. In this sense, the Church consists of three parts. The militant Church, composed of all the faithful on earth, 
the suffering church, which consists of all the souls detained in purgatory, the triumphant church, including both the saints and angels in heaven. It is manifest, says St. Thomas, that both men and angels are ordained for the same end, vis-a-vis -vis the glory of the beatific vision. Hence, angels as well as men belong to the mystic body of the church. In a somewhat more restricted sense, ecclesia refers to all those who have been faithful to God in every age, from the beginning of mankind. Thus, St. Gregory the Great says, the holy ones who have lived before the law of Moses, those who lived under the law, those living under the dispensation of grace, all these being members of the church, constitute the body of the Lord. In like manner, St. Augustine says, Christ is our head and we the body. What say I? We alone and not those who also were before us. Assuredly, all the just from the beginning of the world have Christ for their head. They indeed believed in him to come whom we believe to have come. Kahal, the Hebrew equivalent of Ecclesia, is frequently used to designate the people of our Lord's land, the church of the old law. This is especially true of those passages in which the people of that land are set forth as a type of figure of Christ's church in the new law. E.g., I will declare thy name to my brethren. In the midst of thy church, I will praise thee. I will give thanks to thee in a great church. I will praise thee in a strong people. This was he that spoke in the ecclesia, the church, in the wilderness, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. In the language of the fathers, ecclesia usually means the society of all the faithful who adhere to Christ incarnate as their head and thus constitute the church of the new law. In the writings of the apostles, the faithful are called the, are the called of Jesus Christ, called according to his purpose, called to be saints. Taken collectively, they constitute a community, the community of the called, i.e. the ecclesia of church of Christ, who used the word in this sense when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church. The word church is also frequently used to designate the faithful of a particular district or country. Thus we speak of the French church, the Roman church, the American church. This use of the word is common with St. Paul in his salutations, i.e. Paul called to be an apostle to the church of God that is at Corinth. In like manner, St. John speaks of the seven churches of Asia. Even the faithful who worship together in the same place were called a church. St. Paul says, Aquila and Priscilla and the church which is in their house salute you. In like manner, parishes and dioceses are today often called churches. By an easy transition, the word ecclesia was applied to the edifice in which the faithful met for divine worship. Hence, we have the Spanish iglesia, the French iglesia, and the Italian chiesa to designate both the society and the edifice. In the early ages of the church, the edifice for worship was appropriately called the house of the Lord, domus dominica, or simply dominicum. The Greek equivalent, oike kereke, was similarly contracted into kerekon. This shortened form was corrupted into kereko by the Goths and then passed into German as kirche, into English as church. It is interesting to note that in the Romance languages, the word for church properly refers to the society. It is only by metonymy that it can be applied to the edifice. In the Germanic language, we find the very opposite. Slovak seems to be unique in having distinct terms for these two ideas. Sirkev in society, coastal in the building. The latter is equivalent to our word castle, both being derived from the Latin castellium, a fortified place. The Ancient Temple under the law of Moses, the chosen people were sometimes called a church, but more often the temple of the, of the land of our Lord. This is especially true after the time of Christ, when the church was often contrasted with the temple. The word is derived from the Greek synegion, to drive together. Hence, it signifies an assembly of persons brought together by physical or moral force. Commenting on the difference between Ecclesia and the ancient temple, St. Augustine says, 
By the ancient temple, we understand the people of that land because the ancient temple is the word properly used of them, although they were also called the church. Our congregation, on the contrary, the apostles never called the temple, but always ecclesia. Whether for the sake of distinction or because there is some difference between a congregation, whence the temple has its name, and a convocation, whence the church is called ecclesia. For the word congregation or flocking together is used of cattle whereas convocation, or calling together, is more of a reasonable creature such as men are. Hence, the worthier name is ours on account of our being called. The name of the ancient temple was also used to designate our elder brothers faithful, who frequented the same house of prayer. Hence, we read of the of the temple of the Libertines, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of them that were of Cilicia and Asia. At first, edifice in which the particular congregation of our elder brothers met for prayer, and instruction was called the house of the temple, but in course of time, it became simply to be known as the temple. A bit of an academic, but a, I think reasonable way of addressing the concept of church, what is church and what is not. It's an interesting thing to note here in this time, because we're used to also many Protestants, especially these days, talking about how our Lord never founded a church, when that is clearly an ahistorical concept. The fathers of the church, the most ancient revered authorities, those closest to the apostles, would have found that to be a puzzling claim. And when taken in the light of what these ancient terms mean, it becomes pretty clear that, that no, our Lord founded a church. After all, the gospel clearly says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Not, upon this rock I will found a faith profession and personal feelings based on a personal relationship. He founded a church, and its purpose we will go over more as we explore the writings of Father E. Sylvester Berry in due time. I'm curious what you thought of that, though. Um, let me know in the comments. He has written some prophetic work as well, things that seem prophetic anyway, and it's one of the reasons I picked this up, because as you go deeper into this book, you start seeing things that speak about our time very clearly and the undermining of the church from within. But let me know your thoughts on this in the comments, please, and hit like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to sharing this on social media, that helps a lot too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.